Welcome to Between Lewis and Lovecraft. I'm Hannah. And I'm Tyler. We're here to learn more about the lives of authors that have inspired us, a journey into the stories they not only created, but also lived. So join us as we dive deep into the worlds that live just out of reach. And we do want to thank you for calling us and giving us the good news. It was very good news. And by the way, this guy, Eric, when I come down there for your graduation, I'm going to find out how he's treated you. And if he wasn't uh, nice to my uh, my girl, well, I'd just probably have to take my shotgun and go shoot him. That's about all I'd have left to do. So you take good care, sweetheart. And this is the last time I'll be uh, cutting in on this one. Welcome to Between Lewis and Lovecraft, where we find the weirdos, the the freaks, and we make sure that they pay for what they've done. I don't know what I just listened to. <laughs> this is the first time we've recorded together since Halloween, yeah. like in the same location, yeah. and this is what this is what we started. You with. hit me with <laughs> yeah. It's uh, that's my great grandfather, uh, making sure he's taking care of his family. What I need some context for this, but. I- First, I just have to say, when it started playing, I was mm-hmm. like, did Tyler somehow, like, resurrect some long-lost Victorian <laughs> recording of Lewis Carroll, and this is, like, a relevant episode introduction, but no, with it's just Lewis totally- Carroll with a southern accent? Yeah, in the 1800s, which I think they did not have audio recording at the time uh, he was no, alive. No, I, I don't think that they did. Um. So, yeah. So, what is the context of this? That's list? basically just my great grandfather. He recorded a bunch of tapes, and uh, and I've been going through them and digitizing them. Uh, and I listened to that, and I laughed my ass off because it's just so, like, blatantly like, um, I, if he's not treating you right, I'm gonna shoot him. I'm gonna shoot him with my shotgun. And you know, something about this author. For some reason, makes me think if anybody deserved uh, to be shot for not treating women right or girls, little girls right, it's 100% this guy. I disagree with everything you just said, but um, I guess we can't get to that for like another 30 minutes. So We got to hurry up and get to it because I want to know. Tyler's just going to be like. Antsing around in his chair the yeah, whole episode. I'm pulling like, up the okay. outline right now so that I can see how long it's going to take before I can talk about that. I told you to pull up the I'm outline s- literally one week ago. No, <laughs> no I know. Like, but uh, in classic Tyler fashion, I've been way too busy to actually do that. So, um, <laughs> what did you think I was going to do that? <laughs> Silly me. Thought um, you'd come prepared. <laughs> welcome back to a new year of diving into people's lives last episode was chill you know we're just kind of catching up having some fun being sick and opening presents and now we're in the studio drinking whiskey i mean apple juice yeah Um, cheers sorry yeah and uh and we're we're talking about authors and stuff and apparently we have a massive discussion ahead of us (laughs) yeah we're gonna we're gonna debate wow very interesting. It could debate. get, you know, intense, a little personal. Yeah. Oh, personal. <laughs> <laughs> what is this personal thing that's gonna that Hannah's gonna bring up when I want to talk about a weirdo takes pictures of naked well, little girls? See, you'll just have to sit and wonder yeah, about I'm that. Really, now. Can we just skip to that part? Okay, let's dive into Lewis Carroll, author of Alice in Wonderland, uh, and look through the looking gra- glass. 
It'd be hard to look through the grass. Grass, through the looking grass, um, as well as a couple other poems and short stories. And and, a lot of math stuff. a lot of photography. Yeah, he he had a lot of hobbies. Yeah. It seems like people had more free time back in the 1800s. Well, when you're a wealthy aristocrat and all you do is look for ways <laughs> to spend your, your time. Well, Tyler, he was not a wealthy aristocrat. So <laughs> even the poor had more free everyone time. everyone <laughs> back then was a wealthy aristocrat. Uh, not to go on a tangent this early, but Talon and I just started watching Peaky Blinders. Yeah. Uh, and got to say... Even 1900s uh, England looks like it sucked. Yeah, not a fan. Not a fan of all of that. Yep. Industrial Revolution was just all around shitty for most people. <laughs> not a good time. So uh, so let's talk about Mr. Lewis Carroll, and that's definitely his real name. Yeah, uh, like many of our authors, that's not his real name at all. <laughs> so we're going to struggle with the, the last name thing. Uh, but Lewis Carroll was born on January 27th, 1832, as Charles Ludwig Dodgson. Oh, I like how you said that. I would have said Ludwig. I think it is Ludwig. I gave it the uh, the German vig. The old German try. That's what they say. <laughs> the old German try. <laughs> so uh, Charles Ludwig, Ludwig uh, was born in the village of Daresbury, Cheshire. Very British. Mm. Uh, he was the third child of the Reverend Charles Dodgson and uh, his wife, Frances. Uh, Francis and Charles were first cousins. Totally not weird at the time. Mm, but, uh, did not know that. We've got some, you know, that's just some family first stuff. First cousins? You know? First cousins. Like, like my my uncle is your dad cousin? Or is yes. first cousin, like, once uh, removed from okay. regular cousin? Well, now I'm confused because I never really got the removal thing. I think it's the my uncle is your dad type yeah. of cousin. Which, yeah. uh, in... Ironic timing, I stumbled upon a, a TikTok. Uh, I thought you were about to say you and Talon were cousins. <laughs> <laughs> Honey, we have to break up. <laughs> no. Uh, I stumbled upon a TikTok like a week or two ago that was a doctor. And he was like, people ask about this all the time. And the answer is, if you have a baby with your first cousin, there's almost no chance that anything will be wrong with it. So Right. For like one generation. Yeah, you shouldn't. But like. If your if that baby has a baby with its cousin, then you start to really like mix in that that fucked up blood. Yeah, shit. you shouldn't do it for too too long. Otherwise, it'll turn out like Game of Thrones or something. It does. Game of Thrones have a lot of that jazz in it. Oh yeah, I forget that you didn't yeah, watch yeah, Game of Thrones. Yeah, Game there's Thrones. a lot of incest in Game of Thrones. I mean, Thrones I know that's one of the reasons why the I dragon. don't watch <laughs> Game of Thrones is because of all the incest. I despite how funny I think it is. I don't want to watch a show that has it. Like, I don't think it's good to watch those things. You're morally opposed to it. I guess. I'm in a weird space where I think it's funny as hell, but I do not support it, (laughs) even in fantasy. uh, Yeah. To be clear, I do not support marrying your first cousin. Uh, I don't know. know. You're bringing a lot of evidence. I'm just pointing out that we can't draw any conclusions about any of their, like, 11 children's um, mental... They had 11 children? They got 11 children. Um, oh, my God. At what point are you like, yeah, I mean, we know it's too many, but why stop now? You know? It's like it's like when your teeth are bad or something, when you're like, yeah, I could stop eating sugar and go to the dentist, but why? Like, what I'm an in analogy. pain anyway. <laughs> the kids 
compared to bad teeth. To the agony of having <laughs> You've bad got teeth. one child, so... Um... I think I have, like, outside of emotional pain from having a child, like, physical pain causing me to cry. I don't think that I have physically, like, painfully cried um, in years. Really? Years. I mean, like, like, a decade at least, except for when my teeth were bad. Really? It was the only time I've cried out in pain. Like, wow. actual cried. Because it, it hurts so bad. Teeth pain to me is literally the worst thing you can go through. Outside Ooh. of maybe giving birth. But even then, I think, maybe. I think my, my teeth might be worse. Okay, well, uh, we don't have time to bring Rebecca on to, to talk about this. But Speaking of Rebecca and cousins, just real quick, I want to point out, <laughs> oh, Rebecca and I did actual research to make sure we weren't related. Because we're from this small town in Oregon, and like everybody's related to everybody here. And so that's not been my experience. <laughs> you live outside of town. You're one of the outsiders. <laughs> uh, yeah, from like the West Virginia of Canby. So like there should be more relatives. <laughs> that's true. <out> <laughs> that's very true. But no, like we legit, we we grew up in families that were very close, very large families, and we even found out that we our grandparents lived like down the road from each other. Oh wow. And so we legitimately were like, let's make sure we're not related before we like do this for real. And at our wedding, her cousin did a full like diagram of how we are related in different <gasps> ways, but it's all through marriage. Okay. So like my cousin married her step cousin and then her cousin married my other uh my so it was like it was super weird. It was really funny. Uh, yeah, sorry, that was a big tangent. Uh, let's keep right after on. I told you we can't do any tangents. Um, I know. Anyway, so yes, he was the third child. Um, he was born in a parsonage where his father was the perpetual curate, which sounds like a super cool job title. I had to look it up. It's like a resident priest in the mm. United Church of England. So they lived on church grounds, basically. Yeah. Uh, and Francis and Charles had a kid basically every year or two until there were 11 total. Gross. All of them survived, which is super unusual for the 1800s. Um, and uh, Charles Jr. was the oldest son. Uh, he had seven sisters and three brothers, so a lot of uh, feminine energy in his family. Feminine energy. A lot of estrogen in the uh, Ludwig Dodgson Once house. Once a month must have been terrible. Uh, Do you that, think they all synced up? Is that a thing that they did? I have heard that's a myth, actually. I did. I figured it's a myth. I genuinely never thought that was a real thing. Yeah. I mean, I but think, if it was, that would have been anecdotally, terrible. Anecdotally, people think it's a thing, but I looked it up once, and doctors were like, "Yeah, there's no there basis so. for that." So, um, as the oldest son, he kind of grew up with a lot of pressure on him, knowing that when his dad died, he would be the head of the family, um, and all of his siblings went to him for advice, even when his parents were still alive. Um, even his older sisters, so they were like, he was the wise one of the family, I guess. Hmm. He was also the family entertaining. He always created imaginative games for his siblings to play. Uh, he learned magic tricks to amuse them. Uh, and he wrote and illustrated several family magazines with them. Uh, so he definitely had the uh, the writing gene early on. Uh, his dad, as a, a, a leader in the church, was a scholar. Uh, but he was not paid very well in his job as perpetual curate. Uh, and as they had 11 kids, they lived in poverty. Uh, his parents seemed determined to tackle it with good Christian cheer, though. And they kind of 
just pulled up their bootstraps and worked hard to manage the little bit of money that they had. Uh, Charles Jr. suffered a fever as a child that left him deaf in one ear. Uh, and then other notable timelines, uh, in 1843, when he was 11, his dad got a promotion to rector at the, and the family moved to North Yorkshire. Um, up until this point, he had not attended school at all because they didn't have enough money. Uh, his, his dad kind of just taught him at home, uh, and his dad was pretty well educated, so he was competent at that. Yeah, most, uh, most people in clergy ships were yeah so uh, he got a good education from his dad um, but he really didn't have much going on in his childhood outside of his family uh his siblings were and their extended family were pretty much his only friends uh because they lived in kind of like rural areas too so Mm -hmm. it's not like there were a lot of other kids um so the first time he actually attended school was when he was 12 uh in 1844 and that was like a boarding school um this was his first time making a group of friends his own age he uh, uh, he sent letters to his sisters from that time, um, and they suggest that he got through some initial like hazing because school was very different back in in those days. They had a high tolerance for bad behavior, um, so he got through that and eventually came to like his classmates at his school. He was an excellent student. His headmaster wrote to his uh, dad that Charles possessed a quote very uncommon share of genius, and <laughs> described him as gentle and cheerful. Uh, the Reverend Dodgson kept the letter his whole life, so it seems like that compliment was very meaningful to him. And I think that would be, even if you have, like, 11 kids to get different compliments for. Yeah. Um. Then two years later, when he was 14, he switched to a school called Rugby School. I don't think it has anything to do with the sport. That's so random to call it <laughs> Rugby School. It's a uh, an apt name, I think, though, because it was a much less pleasant school. It had a reputation for being really violent and brutal, um, both from the other students and from teachers. Uh, but it appears to have toned down some of the worst of that by the time that young Charles got there, but they still kind of operated on the belief that hardship and abuse would prepare students for life, like, you know, toughen you up for the real world. Uh, Beatings by teachers and bullies were pretty common at rugby school. Um, Based on the biography I was reading, which was The Mystery of Lewis Carroll by Jenny uh, Wolfe, it seems like Lewis Carroll was not really the type to dwell on or, like, record bad memories from his life. Like, he, when he wrote to people or he wrote in his diaries, he always kind of looked on the bright side of things. So, it's not... We, we don't know a lot about what he went through at school. Um, but we do know that he didn't seem to enjoy rugby school like he did yeah. his previous school. Right. Um, but he still did really well academically, um, and the headmaster of that school wrote to his dad, to, again, like complimenting his academic abilities and personal conduct. So by all accounts, it seems like he was a very well-behaved child, uh, likable, got along with, well with his teachers, and, and performed well. Um, one thing that we don't know a lot about is his relationship with his parents, Uh, His mom seemed like she was kind of too busy with 11 kids to have been close to any of them individually, which kind of makes sense, but it's also sad. Um, He did hold on to a note that she wrote him when he was a a child. It was like she was she was gone on a trip and her note to him suggested that he'd written to her multiple times before getting a response because she was like, oh, sorry, it's taken me so long to to get back to you. Um, And it was like super impersonal. It didn't 
like there's nothing to distinguish that she like knew what she, he yeah, was interested she, yeah, she in or yeah um but he like it obviously meant a lot to him because he kept it and wrote no one is to touch this note on the back like yeah. the way a child guards something the um, child of 11 would guard it like yes. wanting attention from mommy yeah, yeah. so that's kind of sad and i think we can see that reflected in his writing a little bit um his stories kind of suggest problems with mothers like in Alice in Wonderland mm. her like her mom doesn't seem to factor in at all it's her older sister who takes care of her and looks after yeah um and i guess in some of his other stories uh characters boys with doting mothers are portrayed as mama's boys so they're yeah talked down to interesting how he has mommy issues is there anything you want to add to his mommy i'm trying issues? to keep my mouth shut as much as possible here so we can get through you know the dry bits get to the moist stuff Ew. <laughs> no. yeah. his dad on the other hand <laughs> seems to have adored all of his children and took interest in like their individual personalities and likes and stuff um so the the reverend seems to have been a little bit more invested in each of his children as individuals yeah. and you know i i hear it all the time now that i'm a dad is like you're you're always going to find more love in your heart for the for the next kid um, which I think is really crazy because I love my son so much. I, I like not that I'm scared that I'm not going to love my second kid. I just don't see how. I just don't see how <laughs> I can love Alistair as much as I possibly do, and then love another thing as much as that. But you never know with your with personalities and and stuff like that. Like I think I am the type of person that does love really hard when it's like my thing my kid so i can fully understand where he comes from and like i'm gonna have these because he went out of his way to have individual relationships with each kid mm -hmm. he wasn't like i'm gonna just be a dad of 11 he was i am the dad to this kid and 10 more kids um and so there's stories in the in the book that i was reading where he was he would go out of his way to to have personal relationships with each one. And I think that's really, really cool. Yeah, super important because I've noticed like in a lot of other- By like, the way, real quick, sorry. Oh yeah. By the way, my story that I read, um, listened to was The Story of Alice by um, Robert Douglas Fairhurst. Fairhurst. Robert Douglas Fairhurst. That sounds super British. Yeah, um, and uh, he- he focused on obviously uh, Lewis Carroll, but he kind of played off of the relationship that Lewis Carroll had with Alice Little, who we'll find out about in a little bit. Awesome. Okay, so um, after he finished uh, with like high school years, he spent a year being taught by his his father again, and then he enrolled at Oxford University. He started undergraduate there in January of eighteen fifty one. Uh, he excelled in mathematical and classical studies and completed his Bachelor of Arts degree in 1854. He was soon appointed a lecturer in math, a job that he would go on to hold for almost three decades. Nice. So Oxford is like basically where he spent his adult life. Yeah. Um, he he was a man whose brain was always going. He invented this thing called the Carroll Diagram, uh, okay. which I had never heard of. But 
because he didn't publicize it at the time. Like his brain was always going, but he wasn't good at self promotion. I guess. Hmm. Um, wait, you are good at self promotion. I'm was not. Like, I'm yes, not. You, good. No, no, I am not. You promote your stuff all the time. You've got. Yeah, your- but I don't do it well. I do it because it's easy. The internet makes it so easy to promote yourself. If I was good at it, I would be selling books. Okay, well, <laughs> I I disagree. I think you're good at promoting your work and like putting it out there. I think uh, Charles Ludwig Dodds Dodgson was a Dodgson. lot shyer yeah. about it, or like he. Um, I think Jenny Wolf in that biography suggested like he was more interested in the process of thinking about things and creating it than yeah. uh, promoting it. So this Carol diagram is now in the 21st century, a really popular way of teaching children how to group items. It's basically like a square diagram instead of a Venn diagram. Mm-hmm. So it's got like columns and, and rows that you put things in based on characteristics. So yeah. he uh, he invented that. He also created lots of word games and brain teasers, kind of like an early version of Scrabble. And he also created something called a word ladder, um, which is like you start with one word like mice and then you have to change one letter each mm-hmm. time until you get a completely different word. Yeah. So you go like mice, lice, something like that. Right. Um, but as far as like being a teacher, what he did have a lot of trouble controlling his students um, in January of 1856, his diary notes that he summoned 60 students to attend a meeting, but only 23, less than half, turned up. He told the rest to report to his rooms or like his his section at Oxford, um, but none of them did. And then he finally had to call on the dean to get involved. And then the next time that he sent for the students, they showed up reluctantly and then bailed on the lecture again within a few days. So like mm-hmm. he had no respect from his students. Uh and this would be like a theme for his entire career. He couldn't control unruly groups, especially of young, wealthy men like the types who went to Oxford. Yeah. Um, in contrast, like jumping ahead a little bit in the 80s and 90s after he retired, he started teaching logic at Oxford High School for girls. And there his students adored him. Um, that was at a time when girls were still prohibited from attending most universities. So the the classes that he had there, like they really wanted to be in school. They like were fighting for their education. Um, they truly wanted to learn. And all of his students there, like they loved him. They He made them laugh. Um, they hmm. there were like some students who wrote that like for the first time they felt like their their mind was valued or something and their education mattered. Interesting. Yeah, you're just smiling, (laughs) smiling serenely. (laughs) Um, One of the misconceptions about uh, Lewis Carroll is that he was a recluse. um, And Jenny Wolfe, the author that I read, she she argued against that. She said, like, he had lots of friends in intellectual and artistic circles, uh, including famous writers like Alfred Lord Tennyson. Um, But around people he wasn't already comfortable with, he was really quiet. Like, I guess Mark Twain. Mark Twain met him once and then later described him as, quote, the stillest and shyest full-grown man I have ever met. (laughs) So that's quite the mental image. And I guess part of the reason for his shyness may have been his stammer. So he had like this lifelong stammer. And I think one or two of his siblings also did. Yeah. Um, And it became worse in stressful situations like meeting new people or presenting a speech and and we're probably going to get into this a little bit more with the conversation that we'll have in a little bit but there is a lot of um conversation around the fact that he was probably autistic 
or was on the spectrum at the very least. Um, and so all of that makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. If you start to look at it from the context of someone who's, whose brain is hyper-focused on one special talent thing, one special interest, which is what people on the spectrum usually do, and then everything else kind of falls by the wayside, and then they're, they open up in comfortable situations and close off in larger, uncomfortable situations. Mm-hmm. So That makes a lot of sense. He was definitely um, aware of and very self-conscious about his stammer. Um, I guess over the years, he spent a lot of money trying to hire like I, I guess whatever their version of speech pathologists or or coaches would be back then to try to cure him of it um but it never really they would worked play, they'd put headphones on him and play records really loud and tell him to is that how they did it tell him to do shakespeare no that's from <laughs> uh the king's speech oh i never watched that see you to could... me or not oh. to me that is a question he didn't have a stammer though did he i thought he yeah just the king in the king that speech? was his thing he, that, had, a he stammer? had a stammer yeah oh man have you not seen that movie no i've never seen it oh my god you need to go watch it's so good it looked really boring no it's so good especially the beginning where he has to give a speech and he's just like ah, 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 and he sounds like a robot or that's an alien how, or something Love that's it. exactly how lewis carroll was yeah. um i guess we'll get into that a little bit i because he did have to give speeches sometimes being at oxford well, and like in, in so. the well, as a lecturer and then also in the church, mm. he'd have to, like, read sometimes. And one of the people who knew him said that, like, she felt really bad, but she, like, laughed a little bit when he got really caught up <clears throat> stammering in yeah. one of his, his sermons. So, yeah, that that would be really difficult to deal with. I bet that would be especially difficult for him. <laughs> he also had other <laughs> reading interests. Um, he was really into medical books, books about the occult, which reminded me of um, Arthur Conan Doyle. And they Hell were yeah. like kind of, they were, they were around uh, at the same time. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, I think Arthur Conan Doyle might have been older. Yeah, this is the later later 1800s. So he would have been, he would have been towards the end of his life. Yeah, I, I think, think. Yeah, one of them was significantly older or younger than the other. Um. And then he also did have some early writings that obviously were not as popular as the one that he is is famous for. Um, He wrote some poetry uh, and published several humorous prose and poetry pieces, um, some serious poems. Many of those were published anonymously. But in 1856, a poem called Solitude was published using the pseudonym Lewis Carroll. There you are. Uh, Do you know how he chose that pen name? Uh, I think I heard it, but I don't remember. This is like the most <clears throat> intricate way of doing it i feel like so he took his own name charles ludwidge translated them into latin as carolus ludovicus that, or yeah. ludovicus and then changed the order and translated them back to english as lewis carroll yeah crazy so nerdy super nerdy uh, and then after that, he used the same name for all of his non-academic works, which at least thank you for the consistency. Be- who was the author who like changed his pen name three or four times? Was it Robert Jordan? Stephen King. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Yeah, Stephen King too. I feel like there was another one who changed it basically every book for a while. And then... Um, oh, there was... was it, wasn't it Isaac Asimov? Didn't Asimov do like a couple of changes? It was whoever wrote a Western at one point. Asimov. Wrote Western was it? Early I, on. It might have been him. Ugh, I should have gone back and looked. 
uh, if any astute listeners out there remember which author. You said it was a to Latin is what he did it in? Uh, Lewis Carroll, yeah. Okay. So Tyler Clausen in Latin. Latin. We're going to do a little, keep talking. I'm going to do a little experiment here. Well, I can't keep talking because we're going to get to the stuff you care about next. Yeah, let's get to it. <laughs> Bring it up. You can't interrupt seriousness with, uh, you know, Clausenus Tylerus <laughs> or something. Okay, first of all, don't say don't say things that sound like that. <laughs> uh, why did you go to Ukrainian? I'm not Ukrainian. What is happening right now? Uh, English. English. We're in America. We speak American. Um, so, <clears throat> Tyler Clausen in Latin is Tyler Clausen. <laughs> it doesn't change it at all in any way. Well, you failed this assignment. Yeah. Or I'm going to have to look into how we do this, and then I'm going to bring it up later. I don't really know how you translate a name into another language. Me but either. I don't understand. Unless your Charles? name is a noun. His name is Charles, right? Charles. Charles. Um, I mean, Carolus Ludovicos does sound latin but yeah, like not but but how does charles become carolus i don't understand i don't either whatever this is why latin died yeah it's dumb so one of the things that lewis carroll is most remembered for is spending lots of time with the children of friends relatives colleagues sometimes strangers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um yeah. his most famous child friend yep. as they call them which like yep could we could, could we, could we call go. them something else we could. we could definitely call them something else we're gonna put that point right there we're gonna put that on the table there <laughs> child friends he has so many it's an entire group of people that he has named child friends. i don't think he named them his child friends no he did just... he wrote a whole letter about how he named them child friends and how girlfriends wasn't right well you're going to find out a lot of stuff here because I know that your little biography didn't go into it as much as mine did. I think my biographer is not a conspiracy <clears throat> theorist, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> <laughs> so one of his, his most famous child friend was one of the daughters of Henry George Liddell, who was the dean of Christchurch, the college that he was at at Oxford. Um, the Liddells were the only kids in Christchurch because only deans were free to both marry and continue living at the college. Uh-huh. Um, otherwise you had to like get out of there, go have your own parish or something. Um, so Carol befriended several of the Liddell children, starting with, um, the oldest boy, Harry. Uh, and then after Harry left for boarding school, he became friends with three of the sisters, Lorena, Alice, and Edith. So he would go over to the deanery, which is like the Dean's house or whatever, and entertain the girls with magic tricks. He took them out on outings, like a boating trip up the river thames mm-hmm. um and on one such boat trip on july 4th 1862 uh, a then 10 year old alice pleaded with him to tell the girls uh, a story so he started the story of alice following a white rabbit down a rabbit hole mm-hmm. sound familiar yeah so the story is full of inside jokes and references uh that the girls would have understood like the Mad Hatter tells a story about elsie Lacey, and tilly which are all anagrams or references to their names uh, much of the story was based on a picnic a couple of weeks earlier where the group had all been caught in the rain. And so the the group in this case is the girls, their 
governess or whatever and uh this other reverend whose name i can't remember who went on these trips with them mm-hmm. uh so alice told him that he should write the story down so he did he hand wrote a manuscript and even drew the illustrations for it he was a pretty talented artist i don't know if you've seen any of like the original the originals now they're pretty good um obviously they're not in the like published version but he was he it's annoying almost how good he was at so many things like if you're already good at math like do you have a right to be good yeah, at art stop being good at other stuff you no, got math you got math nobody else is good at math you got math <laughs> be good at that just make your uh carol diagrams and yeah nerdy shit do your latin bullshit and let's move on <laughs> So later on, a novelist named Henry Kingsley was visiting the dean's residence and happened to see the finished Alice in Wonderland manuscript on a table. He read it and told Mrs. Liddell, Alice's mom, that she should get the author to publish it. And so Carol talked with his friend George MacDonald, who you introduced me to on the last episode. Yeah. Uh, He was an author of some of the most popular children's stories of the time and a man that C.S. Lewis cited as his greatest influence. Mm -hmm. Uh, So obviously a big fucking deal. Yeah. He took the book home and read it to his kids. And allegedly his six-year-old son said there should be 60,000 volumes of it. Yep. 60,000. 60,000. That kid really wanted to read some more. So, uh, Lewis Carroll edited it. He took out some of the like most specific references. Yeah. Um, he made it. He made it for the general audience. Yeah, and he changed a lot of the the inside jokes and made it more about uh, like a like having a literature joke every once in a while and playing with words the way he does with his word ladder stuff. And, mm-hmm. um, so he he made it a little bit more for him and a little less for Alice but he didn't take away that he had written this originally for Alice right and like he left in the references to Elsie Tilly and um the other one whose name is escaping me but uh he also hired a professional to do the illustrations um so then Alice's Adventures in Wonderland was published in 1865 it had like a slow start at first but steadily increased in popularity and by the following year, he was already considering writing a sequel based on other stories that he'd told the Liddells over their friendship. Mm-hmm. Uh, his dad died in 1868, and then he fell into a kind of depression because his dad was like such a huge influence on him um, from a both a father standpoint and also from a religious standpoint because yeah. Lewis Carroll is teaching at Oxford University. Like this yeah. is a very religious um, place. It's like he he had to seek an exception to like stay there at one point even though because like there was something about how after a certain number of years you were supposed to go like start your own parish and be like become a fully ordained priest yeah which i guess if he'd become like fully ordained he would have been able to get married Hmm. um but he would have also had to lead his own parish sure and he He was not interested in that so uh, but religion was still very important to him. Um, so, yeah, his do- father's death was uh, a huge blow. Uh, and at the time he was writing through the looking glass, the story of how Alice returns to Wonderland. He ended up publishing that three years later in uh, December of 1871. Um, and then, like, obviously, Alice in Wonderland has become a huge phenomenon. Uh, yeah. By the time of his death, it had become the most popular children's book in all of England. Um, I believe it was also the first female lead in a children's book, hmm. um, which is kind of cool. Yeah. 
And it's still one of the most popular children's books of all time behind only The Little Prince and Harry Potter. Yeah, I can The Little Prince. Okay. I'm I was surprised by that because I've actually never read The Little Prince. Yeah. Uh, uh me either. I just I know about it. I know it's like a French. It's thing. French. Yeah. So French. Wow, they won. <laughs> um Yeah. Um I also know like when uh when Alice I th- I thought it was pronounced little. It could it might be yeah. little. I didn't listen to right. the um, audiobook. So when Alice Little was an old lady, um she ended up selling the manuscript or like not the manuscript but like the original I know. Uh, volume. And um and it was I think it went down in history as like the most expensive book ever sold at auction. Um and it went to an American um, and he brought it over to the U.S. and all of England was pissed. They were like, "This is Alice represents England." That's how in love with this little girl, this representation, this fictional character they were. Like they're like, "Alice is a representation of us," and they now been she's higher. now she's been she's been moved to the U.S. Like all of the best British things. Why all, yeah, like all the best British stuff. It came to the U.S. and got better. Uh, no, I. that is really sad. She and her, her family, her kids, um, they sold a lot of her memorabilia that had to do with Lewis Carroll. Yeah. Um, yeah, it got to a point where, you know, she she ended up going off and, and living a, a pretty nice life. She got married and she stayed in contact with uh, Carroll and... Um, you know he would he would send her a copy of his new books every once in a while or whatever new project because he did do f- some fun stuff every once in a while like at one point he had um <laughs> um it, it became really popular to do like tins like cookie tins oh I don't really know if you, if no you know i didn't read about. about that part well but like you know what i'm talking about though right like th- like tins that that have cookies inside of them like nowadays you get them in like the shortbread oh like you'd assemble your own and give them to people or no, no like you it's a it's a tin with cookies in it and it's and at one point it got so popular that they would put like advertisements on the tins or they'd oh. make special edition tins so collecting tins became a thing um and you can see that if you look back at all the old stuff like coca-cola did it and, or like go to an antique store yeah there's tins everywhere with stuff on it um and someone approached uh lewis carroll about doing a tin with uh, with Alice in Wonderland stuff on it and he got really upset when they started selling it and included cookies inside and he's like he's like um, th- you're just using my my idea as a way to sell cookies I don't, what did he I don't, think I don't was know gonna... <laughs> so then he, he would send them to people he would order these tins for free and he'd send them to people mostly little girls and they would he would give them to them and they'd open them up thinking, Oh, Lewis Carroll sent me a box, a a tin of cookies, but inside it's empty because he's like, no, it's not about the cookies. It's about Alice in Wonderland. And then he'd have to like write them letters and be like, this is where you can put your hopes and your dreams and your blah, 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 this. And I dream of cookies. Yeah. (laughs) So like it was this whole thing. So I think she, I think he sent her like some of those and she, her son was disappointed one of her sons was disappointed that there were no cookies inside, <laughs> so she had to tell him. Okay, uh, yeah, I'm kind of sold on the autism uh, analysis. Now. Yeah, he he thought <laughs> He's very. He's so weird. fixated on it. 
Did you know that you can purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore? With Libro.fm, you can pick from more than 250,000 audiobooks, including bestsellers and recommendations from real booksellers. You'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. You know who we're talking about. But you'll be part of a different story. One that supports your local community. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to squeeze more reading into your busy life. Listen with free Libro.fm app while you do chores, walk the dog, or relax at home. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations from the people who know the books the best. The booksellers. Man, I was clapping because... That was your best radio voice. Yeah, it was like radio slash movie trailer voice. Yeah, you like that? It's delightful. Well done. Uh, There is a little bit more. Between Lewis and Lovecraft, special offer. Get two audiobooks on Libro.fm for the price of one, $14.99, with your first month of membership with code BLL. Offer only valid for new members in Canada and the U.S. That's the best part. Not Canada and the U.S. I mean, the, the free stuff. Right. Um, so that's, I mean, I can, I can literally just take that, cut it, throw it together, maybe put a little bits of the web, bits of the web, you know, music behind there. Um, make it feel like you're buying a truck or something. (laughs) (laughs) The new Ford Libro.fm 2023. Um, Man, if I could buy a car called a Libro, that would be excellent. <laughs> it runs on, on books. <laughs> runs on knowledge. Yeah. If, if you want to get into it now, we can. It is time for, for us to address the elephant in the room. Um, starting with one of his other hobbies that he was very well known for was photography. Yeah. He photographed hundreds of artists, writers, friends, uh like scientific models and stuff of the approximately 3000 photos he took about half of our of them are of children uh-huh 1500 photos <laughs> you can do math like lewis carroll yeah let me just use a carroll diagram he to photographed that out. many of his child friends like uh one pretty famous photo of a then six-year-old alice uh little as a like dressed up as a beggar uh, it was quite common in Victorian times to photograph middle class children dressed up in costume because they're weird as fuck. Uh, and 30 of the 3,000 photos depict children nude or semi nude. Yep. So the famous one of Alice Little is her as a beggar where it's like the dress is falling, rags. Off, is falling off of her. Like you can see her upper torso because the, the dress is coming off her. So he had to pose her like that. Um, and here we go. This is it. I'm getting into it now because this is, I, I can't, it's just nuts to me. Yeah. Th- so that picture is, it, he would do photography and po- and like, it would be like Instagram basically. He'd post a picture and then he'd post like, he'd have like a poem that would go with it. And that picture was a, was a part of a series that was a poem about a beggar woman that gets found by a king who then makes her into a queen type of story. Interesting little idea that he has for this little girl. But whatever. Let's just move <laughs> past that. Maybe that's just a fun little story that they told to each other. But let's move past that. There's a bunch of naked girls that he has got pictures of. There's a bunch of naked girls. So many so that they had to burn some when he died because they didn't want people to get a hold of them. Along with many journal entries that he had throughout his life that went around 
times that he was with girls that his family would tear out of his journal and burn because they didn't want his name to be tarnished by how much he hung out with little girls, what he would say and do and think and stuff. He had written to people talking about how they, how a little girl's body is the most perfect form that you can have. And as soon as they grow up, it's ruined. And it's not as beautiful anymore. Can we get a citation on that one? Because I I looked for that after yeah. you alluded to it in the last I w- episode. I, I don't couldn't know find it off it. the top of my head. I will look. I will try to find it in this thing. Uh, but it's an audio. I believe book. you that it's in there. Yeah. I just couldn't and, find it. And I and there was a lot because when they were when they were talking about this subject, they were bringing up the the author was bringing up that this was actually quite common in this time period. Yes, it was. Um, uh, can I? Yep, you can interject so, if you like. With the photography-specific angle, um, none of them were scandalous by Victorian standards. Uh, actually, I, well, I never really put well, this together. Well, uh, kind of, but I get Victorian what you're saying. Victorian greeting cards and Christmas cards often had photos or drawings of naked children. Mm-hmm. Or Because uh, they were all supposed to be like cherubs and little baby cupids and shit like that, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, or just like, kids it wasn't always just cherubs uh but nude portraits were often uh highly praised in the art world carol's contemporary and friend julia margaret cameron did they mention her at all in in that sounds really familiar she's considered one of the most important portraitists of the century and she made lots of portraits of partially nude or fully nude uh kids Mm -hmm. and nobody thinks she's creepy (laughs) okay that's fine i guess uh, uh, i don't know much about her so i don't know all i'm going off of is this guy yeah. hanging out with a but and i get it it's a product of the time right victorians I understand. they they thought kids were like they literally sexless yeah they, they represented innocence and yes. purity and i get that and from his point of view as a religious person i could even see him really thinking that but there is a point where it no longer is innocent and there are and there are men at this time that are marrying 10 year olds it would have had to be 12 12 was 12 the age of consent olds, back fine. then yeah fine. although so okay. different so different no 10 and 12 year olds huge difference the thing about the the, tw- <laughs> the age of consent so apparently like even though that was the age of like consent quote unquote like it was not um acceptable to actually marry someone at 12 but they would you know kind of they would like have relationships they would with have these like courtships girls. or yeah. like as soon as you turn 12 or even like 11 you were getting a little close like your parents would kind of stop letting you do certain things because they'd be like oh you're starting to reach like marriageable age right. we don't yeah. want to give you a reputation sure but there would be men who would court little girls 12 year olds until they were old enough to where it was okay which for them is to marry. very creepy grooming <laughs> i don't know what else to call it it's grooming them right and then and then you have lewis carroll who's writing all this stuff and sure there's the there's absolutely the chance that he was being innocent and all of it and part of me can see that if if he is autistic if he doesn't connect the dots in ways that other people do and this is a product of his time that it is it is he's he's doing stuff and it's kind of okay mm-hmm. but there is a point where he starts to get into trouble with a lot of this stuff and he starts he would like take pictures and then he'd ask for permission from the parents because he knew that if he did it beforehand 
it wouldn't it, they wouldn't really be all that excited about yeah it. because with most of his pictures like the parents were there they gave mm-hmm. their approval it was usually like the pictures were taken with the understanding that they would like usually just be for the family yeah um so usually like I, in the biography I was reading like there wasn't any evidence that any of the moms like objected to the photos even the fully naked ones mm-hmm. um like they didn't think it was improper um they she did note that a couple mothers objected to uh, him kissing their daughters on the That's, cheek yeah but in those cases it was girls that were older than 12 and so the concern was oh like people will think that she's like betrothed to yeah, you or there's whatever. like a 16 year old that he goes and kisses on the cheek because he thought she into, was like younger yeah and then and then it turns out no you can't kiss her on the cheek and then it becomes this whole thing which is like also kind of weird it's like okay it's fine to kiss like very little kids on the cheek but not he older would keep kids. locks of their hair he would talk about how much he wants to kiss them and hug them and hold them like literally like keeping locks of their hair that's but fucking like, gross man in the the letters when he said like none of his child friends have ever made any Im- like allegations of improper actions they- except for the littles they didn't except make any the, allegations they didn't make allegations you're right but they did cut off full cut off uh relationships with him yes. and a lot of people think that it's because he was improper and or because they thought hey you want to get with alice so let's get that going and he's like no i don't so that was in uh june of 1863 so that was after he'd written the manuscript i uh-huh. think but before he published it it was some somewhere in the timeline there yeah um and yeah they they cut him off um one of the theories was that uh he was interested in alice or like uh the mom said that he was acting mm-hmm. improperly she thought they were getting too close um so one of the sisters i think or uh, one of the like great or the the granddaughter or something. She said that the family lore had it that like Alice's mom was kind of a snob, and thought that Lewis Carroll wasn't high class enough sure. to be hanging out with the family. Sure. Um, a letter from one of the sisters to Alice when they were in their eighties, uh, said that the mom didn't like how affectionate Carol was being, um, and that when she told him about it, he got offended and left. So maybe that was to the theory that like she, she thought he was trying to become, the the court quarter or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and then he left of his own volition. Uh, some people speculated that the reason he spent so much time with them was because he was having a thing with their governess, mm-hmm. um, which I don't think was true. There's he no had a lot of he it's had a like really good a lot of female take, take the heat off of Alice and right. put it on someone else who's age appropriate. Well, he had a lot of like adult female friends or like a lot for the time, mm. but they were usually like. Um, not spinsters, but like, you know, <laughs> it wasn't proper for adult females to hang out with adult men in sure. a non-dating context. So, yeah, so I they think, had this I think rift. ultimately the thing that gets me, first of all, it th- there was a turning point in the Victorian era where it was no longer Victorian, right? It, it, was, it was becoming a new era. It was becoming a new generation of people that were taking over and, and be running the world and it was no longer seen as innocent and okay to take pictures of naked girls and he had to deal with that fact he had to come to terms with the fact that he wasn't allowed to take pictures of little girls anymore i think most of that criticism didn't start until after he died because i i was reading that most of the like pedophile suspicions came up in the early 1900s 
when there, Freudian theory was becoming was, popular. There was a, a letter where he he took a bunch of pictures of naked girls and then he went on a rant about like people want to make this a gross thing but it's not Interesting. and everyone's like why did you bring this up if you don't think that it's wrong what what in your head would have made you think that it's wrong if you didn't think it was wrong well if people are telling you that it's wrong yeah, or, yeah i don't know, I don't know. Th- there's that and then it's the fact that people had to get rid of a lot of his art get rid of parts of his journals things that would have made him look bad what were in those parts of his life that we don't know about was it relationships that he had with girls or things that were inappropriate that he didn't think was inappropriate at that time but as the victorian era ended people went "Ooh, yeah you can't do that with little girls we're gonna go ahead and delete that part of your life because that is bad for us selling more alice books i think you know, it, it is weird that they cut out pages of his diaries. Um, I don't think that's altogether uncommon with, like, the families of famous people to kind of get rid of some yeah, some letters make, and to stuff. clean up a little bit. Clean up the, the image. I think, you know, there could be more innocent explanations for that. Like, he did go through some, like, times of uh, very tumultuous, like, introspection and personal tr- turmoil with, like, his beliefs and... It seems like before he started having the child friends, he had, like, some struggles with not necessarily his sexuality, but, like, it seemed like he viewed adult women as, like, temptresses or whatever Mm. um, and really not grew to, like, dislike them because he obviously had adult female friends, but was just, like... I mean, Leonardo DiCaprio over here getting rid of girlfriends <laughs> oh my gosh, left and di- right. The second they're too old for him. Fucking Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> no, um, like, he was so devoted to, like, his, his religion and staying celibate for his I love how life. you're defending the religious guy in this episode. Well, yeah. You know, he uh, had a lot of pressure on him. He had to be celibate for life and... Yeah, uh, and not fuck little girls. That's a lot of pressure, right? I don't think he was attracted to little girls. I think that was a way for him to get companionship without... I will grant you that I don't think that he actually did anything inappropriate. I will give you that. But I fully believe he was attracted to You think he was attracted to them? I fully believe. This is not me putting on a bit. This is not me doing... Twilight incest conspiracy theory. This is what I believe from what I read. I believe that he had something about him, maybe mommy issues. Maybe he was one of 11 kids and most of them were his sisters. Maybe it's just something wrong with his brain that he doesn't see grown women as his age as attractive. Maybe he's just stuck. Trauma, something happened. I don't know what it is. I think that he was genuinely fully interested in little girls i don't think that i i don't think that he necessarily acted on that and maybe it's not in a in the way that we would be like oh i'm interested in the female sex right he's different he's interested in the female sex to an extent but not in the same way that i am and that is and his direction is towards little girls because they represent that innocence. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I do fully believe that he preferred 
young little girls over anybody else in the world if he had his choice. And that to me tells me he was attracted to them in one way or another. All my defenses of Lewis Carroll aside, like I I wouldn't let my kids hang out with a, <laughs> an adult man. Um but I think that's also because I'm a product of my time when sure. like in the twenty first century we are so overly like paranoid yeah, about stranger men. danger. Yes, and stranger danger. Men especially though, like um like it I know women who hang out with small children and I think it's weird. Like, they like, you know, hanging out with kids and, like, not strangers, but ones they know. And they'll, like, take them out to do fun things, even though they're not their kids. I'm like, I think that's kind of weird. I don't like kids enough to hang out with kids who aren't mine. But nobody sees them through the predatory lens that they see men who would do the same thing through. So, I don't know. Maybe I'm, like, reacting defensively to that because I don't think it's fair. All I I know is my wife has watched way too many crime shows. (laughs) Oh, 100%. For any strange man to do anything to our children. (laughs) But there's, like, there's consequences to our paranoia about men because, like, 97% of, uh, like, young elementary school to to preschool teachers are females Mm -hmm. we just like don't trust men with children and that's not always a good thing because especially for kids who don't have or boys especially who don't have dads like male teachers are that father that father figure male coaches are that father figure and because of our like 21st century paranoia yeah we've treated any man who wants to spend time with children as a pedophile and and to be a man in today's age I have to be so hyper aware of how I treat children. Before I had my son, I was only comfortable hanging out with uh, basically two sets of children, my nieces and nephews, and then my best friend's daughters, Mm -hmm. because I knew them from when I was in high school and, you know, they're just after high school. And so I grew up as an adult and they grew up into, you know, they're like 10 years old now. And... I, I treat them like nieces and nephews. And then my nieces and nephews that I lived underneath, I literally couldn't escape them if I wanted to. <laughs> so I don't have a problem with being like, hey, Jack, that's not his name, but hey, Jack, you better cut that out or else I'm going to dunk your fucking head in the toilet and I'm going to give you swirly. So what does he do? He pushes me again. So I go, great, flip him upside down and walk him into the bathroom. And he screams and he cries and his sister's freaking out. And and I walk into the bathroom. I hold him over to the toilet. And I'm like, is it funny? You still like this? And he's like, no, no, no. And I stress him out so bad it gives him a nosebleed. Yeah. Tyler. Yeah, I know. And you know well, what? I don't, like feel, I don't feel bad about it at all. Because nope. you know what? He stopped doing the shit he was doing. Because Uncle Tyler doesn't have doesn't put up with the bullshit. And that's what he needed in his life. He needed someone to be like, stop. Stop doing it or else there will be ramifications. Right? Mm-hmm. And I can't do that with any other child. Because if I do shit like that, obviously the toilet thing is a very <laughs> extreme situation. You don't just pick up random children, hang them the upside down. But like, even just like in the in the store, if there's a child acting up and throwing shit, like gets a bottle of chocolate syrup and starts squirting it everywhere, if I am standing there and I don't know this child, I would probably walk away because if I get involved. 
I'm the weird white male who is now involved in this child's life for no reason. Except in my head, I'm like, that, they shouldn't be doing that. So someone should say, stop doing that, little child. Mm -hmm. We live in an era where I'm the weirdo for wanting to stop that from happening or for making funny faces as at, at a kid. Right. right? You, you like know? you can't interact with kids at all. Like, right. I am. I often say that I'm so glad I'm a, a woman because in my job, like I go out and film in public spaces. Mm -hmm. If I was a dude with a camera at You'd like a park weird. or You'd be so weird. Yeah. Yeah. So I like I am so glad I'm a woman because mm -hmm. it literally makes my job easier. I have I have had situations where I like um, for the can be news. I've had to go do film or video or, or uh, photos and I will not do it without having a badge of some kind. Oh, that's because smart. because if I don't have a badge, I'm the weirdo with the camera. Yeah. But I, if I have a badge, at least I can be like, yeah, I'm with the media. Yeah. You know, and someone might not give me as much of a hard time. Yeah. I, so. I don't envy you that position. No, so, nobody ever looks at me skeptically right. or suspiciously. But the big white fat guy <laughs> with the beard and the glasses. Who drives a van. Who drives a van. <laughs> That says, don't let your children near... No. <laughs> it carries candy around yeah. for some reason. I, it plays the, the ice cream song, truck song, oh but God. I don't actually serve any ice cream. I just want children to come run after me. So, uh, yeah, yeah. All that to say, like, I... I know that I, it comes off as as crazy, and, like, I get it. Maybe, maybe he didn't actually do anything, but it's still... It, well, it weirds I don't think me he... out so fucking much. I don't know if I can enjoy Alice in Wonderland anymore. Really? Yeah. Genuinely. Wow. Yeah. We'll have to talk about that more in the chill episode when we actually like talk about Alice in Wonderland. But I think I, I he's dead. You know, we don't we don't have those <laughs> missing pages. I don't want to, you know, convict him as being attracted to little girls or not. I don't know what was going on in his mind. Um, it seems clear from the lack of evidence and the, the statements that all of his former child friends made later on defending him. I don't think he did anything, even if he did have weird uh, attractions. I don't think he acted on them. So uh, for that reason, I like I guess that is yeah. a, a, an interesting point. If you don't if he, act on if it, he is a pedophile, but never acted on the pedophilia does that make him better yeah yeah i mean i this is a very hot topic this is uh, I especially know, right yeah. now i am of the belief that you know you cannot help who you're attracted to mm. even if that's really gross but <laughs> what you can help you can just not act on on your attractions mm. and i sympathize so much if if you have an attraction that you can't act on because it's morally wrong like I don't want to write someone off as a monster because of the way they're they were born or their brain is wired. Yeah. Also, I really quick because I realized in my head what it might have sounded like I was saying earlier, and I want to be very clear, I don't think that autistic people oh, are no. wired to be pedophiles or attractive. That's not what I got from that. I at just all. wanted to make sure because I was going back in my head on what I was saying. And I was saying, like, maybe something was wrong in his brain. And before that, I had said he was on the spectrum. Those two things are completely separate. Those are separate. different wrong things. Those are two, not <laughs> like, wrong. Not I mean, being wrong. on the spectrum is not wrong at all in any way. It's just it's just another way of, of existing in this world. 
I was not pointing out that thing. No, I, just I didn't think you were talking about quick, that at all. Make sure people knew that I was not equating those two things. <laughs> no, definitely not. This is a hot, it is a very hot issue. And it's very easy to say something wrong and say something that's going to disappoint or offend someone. Because when it comes to kids, people are like, so emotions are critical. so high. Yeah. Um, and like, I see this issue because groomers are all over in the news today like that's yeah. the word du jour um and people have no like no tolerance yeah. at all which i'm not saying you should have tolerance but i'm saying there's a difference <laughs> between someone who acts on a a predatory urge and someone who knows that what they are thinking is wrong yeah and makes a conscious effort to not not act on that I, I think you might be the first person I've ever talked to that, not that you're indefensive, air quotes, but you are speaking in a way that's not as aggressive as the stance I'm taking of like, Lewis Carroll is a fucking pedophile. <laughs> Kill him. Well, I just <laughs> ben, think. Ben, take up his body, exhume it, and burn it. <laughs> I just think that, like, especially in the current climate, that word is so loaded and. Yeah. Like, I just don't want to label someone a pedophile who there's not evidence yeah. to prove that. Sure. Uh, because people are really, yeah. really heated about that. Um, and I, I know that, like, Alice in Wonderland and Lewis Carroll himself really uh, has affected a lot of people in positive ways. I I mean, I think that Alice in Wonderland I might be one of the most popular things, like – entities it's not even a like story it's not, yeah <laughs> brand imagery setting culture everything about it is huge and i don't want to sit here and say hey if you like alice in wonderland you're supporting a pedophile <laughs> that's not my point my point is i'm i don't i didn't know anything about lewis carroll i had seen the couple of disney movies that uh they made about alice in wonderland and that's about it that i don't know anything else about it um, and all of a sudden I find out that this big, huge thing was created by a guy that I'm really weirded out by. It's more a culture shock. It's more a, I don't know what to do with this information. So because it's on a topic, like we're talking about, that is so hot button is so, especially for someone, I'm a, I'm a dad. Right. I have a newborn son. The idea that something like that could happen to my son enrages me mm -hmm. with more fury and, and hell born hatred than I've ever known I could have. And so I, it's really easy for me to go, you know what? Fuck that guy. I'm done with that. <laughs> I think that's fair. Um, so, yeah, we're not we're not too at odds over this. No, and even even if we were, even if you were like, I can't believe you think this way, it it's not that important. He's dead, and you can like his books if you want to like his books. Yeah. I mean, I'm almost always of the mind that we can separate art from the artists. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Are we we're, done with we, that debate? We're a show about between Lewis and Lovecraft. We, have, we talk about Lovecraft all the time. We have to be good at separating the art from the artist. <laughs> That is to. true. It gets, I feel like it gets harder when they're still alive, but you know, uh, when they've been dead for a hundred years or more, I I feel a little bit more okay about just still reading their books. I had like three really bad jokes that went through my head just now, so we're gonna move on. You don't want to make okay. So uh, with all of the controversy behind us, uh, 
Lewis Carroll's later life, uh, he he became something of a grump, I guess. Oh, I thought you were going to say groomer so bad. No. I thought you were going to say groomer. I swear to, I swear to God, I was like, oh my God. He became I something of a groomer. Now that we can put that controversy <laughs> behind us. <laughs> no, he was uh, a little a little bit picky. Yeah. Uh, complained a lot about uh-huh. minor inconveniences, like how his food was cooked. Well, he became the dean of... Uh, the college, right? Did he become the full dean? Yeah, he was like the dean. He was like the guy in charge, and he ran the place with efficiency. Like a, a well-oiled machine. Mm-hmm. You wanted to make a joke, didn't you? Mm-hmm. So much lube. <laughs> Ew, why? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so he was not the most likable old man, I yeah. guess. Um, he also kept creating math medical um like works throughout his later life including like short stories in which each dramatic story had a math problem in it and these would like get published in a newspaper or magazine or something and readers were invited to send in solutions so he like inspired a generation of nerdy math people to write in to the editor um but then at the end of his life sadly he he got influenza followed by pneumonia as it often goes and he died on January 14th, 1898, at the age of 65. Mm. Could have made it four more years, and it would have been oh so God. much funnier. So much funnier, You're dude. making a lot of sex jokes about a virgin. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think he was, uh, he was um, what's the term? Um, an incel? Incel? In- <laughs> no, I don't think he was an incel. I mean, it uh, seems like towards to, the end of his life, they he tend to been. hate women a lot more. Oh, that's true. He liked women. He did like women. He well, he liked girls. He liked women too. He had some adult women friends. They were they used to be girls. <laughs> I'm also a former girl. <laughs> what? <laughs> Breaking news on between Lewis and Lovecraft. Uh, so that's. But yeah, yeah, he he died, um, and uh, Alice Little didn't didn't really care that much. Yeah, uh, weirdly though, she named one of her sons Carol. Right? Do you think she did that on purpose? It's a weird name to just name your kid. Otherwise, <laughs> if I were her husband, I'd be a little pissed. Yeah. Like what? You couldn't name him after me. You had to name him Carol. I'm trying to think. I'm literally. I'm trying to think of anything that is that I could do in my life that would equate to that. But I have. I have one ex girlfriend from when I was in eighth grade. <laughs> was there like a teacher who really meant a lot for you to you or something that you could uh, name your your daughter after? No. Mm. I didn't really like older women. <laughs> Uh, this is getting ridiculous. I this is one of the weirdest episodes I think I've ever done research. Yeah, I for. didn't anticipate uh, debating pedophilia on no. an episode. But... Well, and just the research of it was just crazy. I, I don't I don't know if we've ever had an episode of a person that has ever like thrown me off as much as this person did. It, just in that, like you didn't expect uh, him to be. The way he was, or something. yeah. I mean, I I've had people that I didn't expect, right? Like, 
goddamn pirate on when he was like 10 years old sailing just canoeing around across yeah, like whatever. the Puget Sound or whatever or um Herman Melville who actually was basically a pirate for a while um Arthur Conan Doyle also a pirate, a pirate for a while. yeah um but this just I don't know something about this just really messed with me quite a bit and and so I'm being weird about a lot of it and kind of um that's so interesting because I actually I felt like Lewis Carroll was pretty boring Really? Yeah. You had a completely different book to read, though. Your book was different. She mine. was very uh, conservative in her uh, <laughs> take on him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, anything else big? With uh, Like we said, uh, the first volume of Alice in Wonderland that he gave to Alice Little uh, was sold. And then eventually Alice Little was then... Um, invited to America. She did a tour. That's when her son, Carol, the the last surviving son, by the way, of the three, um, basically became her, like, um, uh, manager, I guess would be the right term, um, tour manager. She He would set That's up- It's so funny that, like, just the inspiration for a book gets to do a tour. Right. Well, and but that's the thing with Alice. She what people saw her as Alice, even though she we didn't talk about this. She doesn't look anything like Alice in Wonderland from the book. Like Alice in Wonderland from the book has blonde hair, long blonde no, hair. No, Alice in Wonderland from the book has brown hair. No, in the Alice in from the, Disney has blonde no, hair. No, in the book, she's got blonde hair, too. Oh. They made a note of this. And then Alice in real life had short brown hair. Right. So. Like, if people uh, think they're getting the blonde hair, blue dress, Alice, yeah, they're not. sadly mistaken. But, but they did look at her as, look, you're the inspiration. You are Alice. People treated her that way. Um, and she spent a lot of time trying to break away from that. And then towards the end of her life, she ended up really accepting it because it made her a bunch of money. And her son realized it's so much more fun to be the tour manager and be in charge of the person that is the celebrity because I get to go have all the fun while she's doing all the press <laughs> junkets and stuff um and so he kind of got all all into that and she ended up having a meeting at one point with the guy that was one of the brothers who inspired peter pan whoa and his name is peter so he grew up in the same problem that people always saw him as as peter as peter pan i didn't even know peter pan was based on a real kid oh we're gonna have to do a whole episode on that guy too um and um and so he had a lot of the same problems and actually it was probably worse for him because he wasn't able to break away from it like she was um and they eventually had like a, a little meeting and that inspired like plays to be written about them meeting and stuff um, but eventually he, that boy, that guy, a man, ended up committing suicide <gasps> because he just couldn't handle what? all that. Yeah. That's what we're going to end this episode on? <laughs> yeah. A completely unrelated story and suicide. Of tragedy. It was bad. Yeah. I feel like we need to talk about this more on our next chill episode. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or we just do an episode on the guy that wrote Peter Pan. Well, that too, but that's like too far in the future. So <laughs> <laughs> you got to tell me more about this tragic Peter Pan story at some point. Um, Hannah, what's the best way that people can, uh, can help us out? People, listeners, friends, please tell your friends yeah. about us. Tell all of your child friends about us. Oh, 
I, I can't uh, suggest that. But tell your adult friends, 18 yeah. and older, to listen to our <laughs> 16 show. 16 and older. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> no, I only include 16 and older because sometimes there's kids in high school that need to write a book report about somebody. <laughs> and we got you covered, okay? If you need a book report, listen to our fucking show. Oh, my God. <laughs> my grandma's going to be upset yeah. now. <laughs> and then you can write about what we're talking about. And I guarantee you're going to get an A, especially with one of my theories. Oh, man. Somebody writes the Twilight incest analysis. <laughs> the Frankenstein analysis? The, the Frankenstein that one is actually an good. A. Yeah. That's a good analysis. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, tell your friends about it, about us, all that jazz. Um, go follow us on Instagram. You can check us out. We post stuff. Once a year Semi-regular. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've just been so focused on other stuff, I haven't even tried. Uh, speaking of which, if you guys want to check out some of my stuff, I've been doing uh, another podcast, uh, yet another podcast. Um, but it's mostly, uh, it's basically a newsletter that I do. It's called A Bit Much, and it's just on YouTube. I'm not, like, I'm not trying to make it a big I'm a podcaster type of podcast. It's more just if you want to follow what I'm doing with my writing and all that jazz, that's a really good way to do it. Speaking of, your latest installment of the Penny Lich just dropped. Um, uh, it, well, it comes out on the 31st. Oh, on the so 31st. That, that is my advanced coffee copy so I can go over it and make sure it's all good. Oh, gotcha. See, I thought when you presented this to me, you can buy I it. had you missed. Can pre-order. I now. had missed uh, the boat on that one. No, so, not yet. The thirty first of January. January. Yeah. Oh, okay. So thirty first of January. Yeah, Penny Lich Volume Two comes out. Uh, it's it includes three stories, same as the first first volume. Uh, a cleric with no god. Uh, Witcher. I hardly know her. <laughs> uh, and. Uh, the way of dragon kings. Um, oh, so I'm I've started to lean pretty hard into puns of existing fantasy stories. Uh, it's slowly becoming a thing. The next story after that that I am currently writing is called A Game of Homes. Yes. So um, you're never gonna beat Witcher. I hardly know her though. I don't know. I'm gonna try, but I agree. Witcher. I hardly know her is probably one of the best story titles ever. <laughs> Witcher, I hardly know her. It's great. Uh, Hannah, um, uh, what do we, so next episode we're going to chill. We're going to chill and then we have to figure out who we're going to talk about for the next, next episode. We have stories right now that we're going to, I'm going to try and get a story read and produced so that we can have it on that chill episode. But that doesn't mean you guys shouldn't write to us. Um, we want to hear, what do we want to hear? We want to hear more fan mail, and I we have that super great email uh, that we got after our last chill episode. Should I read that now, or should I read that on? Our we chill? should read it on the next one, just because okay. I know we're both uh, pressed yeah, for yeah, time. We got to do some stuff. Yeah, so. so send us fan mail if you like us. Send us hate mail if you don't. Although we might not read that. We will read it, but we'll make fun of you. Oh yeah, that's true. That's what we do. Yeah. As long as you're like really stupid, like yeah, that write one it person. in bad language so that we can make fun of you. Um, yeah, send us stories that we can incorporate in our chill episodes. Um, if you have authors that you want to hear us talk about, send us suggestions. Yeah. Because um, we're kind of like forming our calendar for this year. Yeah. Tell us what you think about our thoughts on all of this. I mean, and all of it. Yeah. Anything that we talked about in this episode, tell us what you think. And please, please don't like cut my my quotes out and like post them online to get me canceled because <laughs> I like having a job 
<laughs> so I yes. think it's okay that he liked little girls. At least I didn't say that. Yeah. And it, but they're probably going to cut the words over. Yeah, they'll cut it. And then I just said fake. it. So, yeah. <laughs> um, all right. And uh, so with that, uh, Ghoul Gang, you accepted it. And you know you accepted it. It's a new it. year. Yeah. <laughs> Um, we're gonna we're gonna get out of here. Remember, stay safe, and don't let guys take pictures of you naked. That is actually no matter, really good advice. No matter how old you are, girls, keep your clothes on. <laughs> <laughs>